Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Probably one of the most emotional parts of our worship service is this time right now when we collect an offering. There is a tension in each of us about giving our money away because after all, it's my money, right? You worked hard for it. You, you set your alarm, you get up, you go to work every day, you give them a good solid day and then you... you get a paycheck at some point and you hold that and that's not anything to be taken lightly. We work hard for what we get and there's something about the fact that I work hard for this money and now I'm just going to give it away. Now that to you as it might to me seem a little bit unreasonable, right? You're just going to work, work, work and then somebody expects you to just give it away. I know all about unreasonable because I am a parent. (laughs) If you're a parent, you understand unreasonable, right? All of us who are parents have had this thing where we were saying something to our kids and our kids are looking at us with that deer in the headlights kind of look and they're looking at us like you can't be serious and their, their, their mouths may not say it because they're afraid we might you know, go off on them or whatever, but their look certainly says, how unreasonable. You're so unreasonable. And in the back of your mind, you hear your father echo the same things that you just said to your kids because you just sounded just like your dad. And you remember how dumb you thought it was when your dad was saying that stuff to you or when your mom was saying that stuff to you when you were young. And here you are saying the exact same things in the exact same way. I said something to Bennett last night over dinner, and he looked at me and he said, Dad, you sound just like Papa." And I'm like, oh, God help us all. And you know that one day your kids are going to grow up, and then Bennett imitated me imitating Papa, and he sounded just like us. So I can't wait till he's talking to his kids one day and say, you sound just like Papa. And what seems unreasonable to us as kids becomes very reasonable when we become adults, doesn't it? Because as an adult, we think differently, and we see things differently than our children see things. I have a little brother, he's six years younger than me, and honestly, the prayer for Scott, from the time he hit about 14 or 15 till the time he got married, the prayer that our family prayed for this kid was, God, just keep him alive. That was the prayer, just keep him alive, because he'd try anything once, and if he really liked it, he'd do it again. And, 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 you know, the prayer was just keep him alive till he can get married and have a couple of kids, and then maybe things will change. And now he has a 12-year-old daughter. God's gift to our family is that 12-year-old daughter because it has changed his life. And now he says things to his daughter that our dad used to say to us, and he thought he would never say those things to his daughter. And, you know, we say these things to our kids, and they look back at us, and they say the dumbest things. Why should I make my bed? I'm just going to sleep in it again tonight. Why should I put my shoes in the closet? I'm just going to wear them again tomorrow. Why should I violate my taste buds with vegetables? They're nasty. I don't want to eat them. And to our kids, it makes no sense. And as adults, it makes perfect sense because of our perspective. And it's not unreasonable to ask things of our kids, but our kids certainly think so, don't they? Now, here's the dynamic I want us to look at this morning and next week. We're in a little series called Stuff, just two weeks. When it comes to money and giving and the church, the problem is we don't really see things from God's perspective. And my perspective is that there are a lot of things in the Bible that on first pass, I think, 
No way in the world God can be serious about that. Really? He really wants us to do that? And then you look at it again, you get a little older, you, you have a little life experience, and you look at it a different way, and you filter it through everything, and then you come to realize God's way smarter than I thought he was. And just as we look back and those things our parents told us, we say, oh yeah, now that makes sense. In the same way, I'm hoping as you listen this morning, as you read your Bible, as, we, as maybe you talk on the way home, that somehow this penetrates and, and it will make sense. And, and you may not agree with it, but at least you'll have the full context. You'll have the big picture about what God thinks about money and what he thinks about your possessions. Now, I want to talk to the visitors for a minute, and, and here's what's going on right now. All the Cross Lane people know when Brett starts talking to the visitors, he's going to talk about money. Here's, if you're a visitor to Cross Lane, here's what I want you to know. Um, we don't want your money, okay? We don't want your money. Uh, the people who come here, who call this place home, the people who have been touched by the grace and the love of Jesus through the people in this church and think that this is just one of the most wonderful places on earth, they come here and they give money and they give of their resources and that's why we have what we have. That's why we have a staff. That's why we have great programming. It's all because there are people who come and they're they're fully bought in and they understand and, and I really probably don't even need to give this talk to them. But if you're a visitor, what we want you to know is We've got it, okay? We, 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 you don't, we're not, I'm not after your money. But see, here's the thing. I don't, I don't even really talk about money that much. The people that go to church here all the time can, can attest to this. I don't talk about money. And, and what's going on right now is the person who invited you to church and you've come maybe for the first time and you're thinking, great, he's going to talk about money. They're sitting there thinking, great, Brett never talks about money, but one day I bring a guest, he's going to talk about money. So, so if you're a visitor, here's what I hope you hear in us today. I hope you hear a great love for God. I hope you hear that we care deeply about the kingdom of God, and I hope you, you hear that, that our mission statement is all about bringing people to Jesus. And everything I'm going to say today is geared to us bringing people to Jesus. So here's, here's the deal I want to make with you if you're a visitor. If you think for a second I'm trying to get into your pocketbook and get your money, here's what I want you to do. Take it to another church. Give it someplace else. Find a kingdom work and let them use the money that God has given to you to use. But don't, don't cling to and hang on to the possessions that God has given you. That's really the gist of the message. Okay, we can pray and now go home, right? Is that, no, we'll, we're going to stick around. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And, and, and this is a great parable. It demonstrates the brilliant teaching style of Jesus in Luke 16, we get a good dose of his brilliance, and I'm just going to jump in at verse 1, okay? Luke 16, verse 1, you might want to have a pen handy. If you've got a bulletin, we've got a little place where you can take notes. I think there'll be about three or four things you may want to write down today. Luke 16, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager, and you can insert the word money manager there, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So you, you, 
you have this situation where this wealthy guy, he has all this money, and you know, you've heard the expression, he has so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. Maybe that's this guy. This is a story Jesus is telling. He hires someone to handle his finances, somebody to pay the bills and run the business and, and, and you know, trade and invest and whatever it might be so that he can travel, play golf. Maybe he works too. Maybe he's got other things he's got to pay attention to and just doesn't have time for all of it. But maybe he's going to hang out with his kids. Maybe he's going to go on vacation. We don't really know. One day, someone sees this guy out in public, the the guy with all the money. And he says, hey, you've got a money manager, right? And the guy says, yeah. And he says, well, you may want to look into that money manager because I saw him make an investment that just does not seem like the kind of thing that you would do. Might want to check on him because I just couldn't see you investing in that. Better check on it. Later, he runs into somebody else. Somebody else is coming up saying, hey, that money manager you've got, I saw him doing some things. He's driving something. Doesn't, I don't think he makes enough money to drive what he's driving. You may, just may, want to make sure that he's taking good care of your books because I have my doubts. And he hears this over and over, and he begins to check around, and sure enough, this guy is handling his money, but what he's really doing is he's mishandling the rich man's money. And we don't know if it was bad investments or what it was. Jesus doesn't tell us in the story. But the guy finds out that the manager is, money manager is not doing his job. So he calls him in and he says, look, I've checked it out. Had a lot of people talking to me. And, um, you know, you need to just close the accounts because you're done. You're fired. I, I want you to, when you're done closing the accounts, I want you to bring the big black notebook to me. And then you're out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. So now the money manager has two things on his hands. He has time. He has a little bit of time. And he has a little bit of opportunity. He has some time, and he has some opportunity. And if he uses his one opportunity and takes advantage of his time, he could set himself up for a very secure future. And this is what Jesus is going to teach, that his future hinges on his ability to take advantage of this little bit of time and this one opportunity. So he comes up with a plan. Check out this plan. Verse 5, he called in each one of his master's debtors. This is the servant now. He asked the the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Really? 450 dollars? Yeah. Make it for 450 dollars. Hey, man, thank you for being so generous. Hey, dude, if there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. To which the money manager responded, you bet I will. Verse 7, then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Are you sure? Just 800? Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, thanks. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. Oh, you can bet I will. So he goes to every single person that is on the books. He makes a deal with them, and he cuts them a little bit of slack so that when this whole thing is over with and he has lost his job, he has a whole community of people that owed him favors to maybe set him up for the future. Now, Jesus was a brilliant teacher. Remember, this is not a true story. This is just a parable. It's a story that he made up to illustrate a point. And at this point, the people in Jesus' audience are probably thinking somewhat like you are. They're thinking about this money manager, and and they're thinking to themselves, on the one hand, he's a pretty smart guy, but on the other hand, what a jerk. 
This guy's dishonest. But look what the rich guy says. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Shrewdly. That's an interesting little word. The Greek word for that uh, is sensibly, wise, prudent. And the rich guy who has just taken advantage of, of all this stuff, he kind of, that's just been, t- had been taken advantage of, kind of high fives this money manager. You know, he's, on one hand, he's kind of mad at him, but on the other, he's got to admire the guy. He's like, man, you, way to go. I mean, you got me. You had a little bit of time, you had a little bit of opportunity, and you took advantage of it to leverage it for your future. And then Jesus pulls out of the parable to make a statement. He's talking to his disciples. Now, remember, this, we're, we're out of the parable, and Jesus, in the second part of verse 8, says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in, in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And so Jesus is kind of chastising Christians and people who follow God, and, 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 he, and he's basically saying, Look, the people that you're around every day, the people that are in the marketplace in this economy, They understand this principle of leverage. They understand that you have to take advantage of what little time and what little opportunity you have to make your way for the future. That you only get so many opportunities, you only have so much time, you better make the most of it. And Jesus is saying the people of the world understand this. And he would look at us and he would say, but you guys don't get it. Every day you do business with people who understand this cause and effect, this leverage of time and money, but then he looks at us and he says, you need to take a lesson from the rest of the world who understand that when they have a little time and they have a little opportunity, they make the most of it. And the disciples look at each other as if to say, okay, I heard the parable, nice story. What does that have to do with anything? And then Jesus gives them three lessons from this parable, and that's really where I want to focus this morning, because in these three lessons, God shows us his views on everything we own, every dollar we have, everything that we will ever come into contact with as a possession. He's going to give us some things, and, and I'm going to give you three lessons, and I, I hope you'll write these down. I want you to look at the parable. Verse num- uh, number nine, I tell you, Use, if you have a pen in your hand, that's a great word to circle. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into worldly dwellings. What Jesus is teaching is almost unbelievable. He's saying that those of us who are believers, the first thing I want you to write down is all your possessions are a tool. Everything you've been given is a tool, okay? I want want you to think about your kingdom. All the stuff that falls under your influence and your possession, it's a tool. That's the first thing Jesus taught. That you are to use your possessions, your money, your everything, you're to use your possessions to make friends for yourself so that once your stuff is gone, you you will get to heaven There will be people who will welcome you because you used your stuff to get them there. In other words, he sees your stuff as a means to growing his kingdom. See, this is important at Cross Lane because if you're new to us, here's what you need to know. The one thing you need to know about us, the most important thing to us is not that we be a cool church. 
The most important thing to us is not that we get big. The most important thing to us is not that we have some huge compound where everybody drives by and goes, oh, look how cool and great and big that church is. That doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. Here's what's important to us. Bringing people to Jesus is very, very important to us. In fact, when we lay on our beds at night, that's what's written on the back of our eyelids, bringing people to Jesus. That's what we care about. And so we're on board with this idea that God wants us to take stock of what we have, to use what we have in a, in a way that brings people to Jesus. Now here's the picture. I don't know if this is literally what Jesus is talking about or figuratively, but here's kind of the picture that I, I see that I'm going to get to heaven one day and, and someone is going to walk up to me and they're going to say, hey, Brett, how you doing? And I'm going to say, I'm fine. Who are you? Are you a Bible character? I mean, who are you? And they're going to say, no, I'm not a Bible character. Brett, you remember, you remember that missionary that you guys used to support at your church? Yeah. You remember... You cut some checks to them. You supported that ministry. You helped that. Yeah. Well, that missionary told me about Jesus. And that's why I'm here. And I know you. Because I'm here partially because of you. Imagine how cool that would be. Somebody else walks up to you. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Hello, how are you? Who are you? Well, you remember when you were 17 years old and you were a youth coach at your church? Uh-huh. You remember how there were a bunch of little kids in like the fourth and fifth grade that looked up to you and thought you were the greatest thing in the world? Yep. You remember the time you put us in your car in your cool 1975 Gremlin? <laughs> X. And you drove us to the retreat? And you, we played your stereo, and you talked to us, and you treated us like we were big kids. You remember that? I remember that. Well, we looked up to you. And when you told us about Jesus, we listened. And when you used your car to take us to the retreat, it made an impression on us. And we're here in heaven because you used your stuff to love us. So we just wanted to say thanks. Can you imagine how cool it's going to be one day when you get to heaven and some of the stuff that God has given you, you have used for the kingdom and you've said, God, this is not mine, this is yours. How can I take what you've given and give it back to you so that people come to Jesus? And see, God sees everything you own. God sees everything I own as a tool. And he's watching to see if what we have will be invested in people until all of our stuff is gone because it will one day be gone. And there will be people in heaven to show for it. Here's the principle. We have a little bit of time and we have a little bit of opportunity and we can leverage our time and we can leverage our opportunity, our stuff, to turn this passing, deteriorating, rusting, moth-eaten thing into something that lasts forever. What an incredible opportunity. When I was in, in Bible college, the, the rage was, you know, all of us guys, we were wearing suspenders. And I didn't borrow a lot of clothes from people, and I didn't like people borrowing clothes from me. But for whatever reason, something possessed me to go to Barry Tucker's room and ask him if I could borrow his suspenders. 
is I really needed me some suspenders for the night, for chapel. And so I knock on the door, hey, Barry, can I borrow your suspenders? He reaches into his closet, he hands them to me, and he says, there you go, take those. I said, great, I'll bring them back after chapel. He said, no need, just keep them. I said, Barry, I didn't come to take your suspenders. I just wanted to borrow them for the night. He said, no, you need to hang on to those because he said, I just don't want those to own me. He said, those are just things. And he said, I need to hold things like that pretty loosely in my hand, so you take them, they're yours. He said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hold on to stuff that tightly. It's something God gave me, I'm giving it to you. He said, Brett, all this stuff's going to burn one day anyway. Jesus is going to come back and everything we have is all going to burn. Oh, that was a new thought for me. Changed my perspective a little bit on possessions. And Jesus looks at us and he says, you don't even get it. Every day you see people in the marketplace and they're leveraging what little time and what little opportunity they have. And here you've got something that is going to last forever, the kingdom of God, and you could have a great impact on it based on the stuff God's given you, but you're clinging to it. You're holding on tight. And Jesus says, use your worldly wealth to benefit the kingdom. God wants you and me to ask this question. God, how can I use a high percentage, possibly 100% of what you've given to me in a way that would bring honor to the kingdom? Not just what I drop in the offering plate on a Sunday morning, but God, if you see everything I own as a tool, God, I want to know how to use what I own to bring people into the kingdom. In other words, how we view our possessions, if, if we really see it the way God sees it, it should begin to change the way we pray. It should begin to change our spending habits. It should begin to change our, our living arrangement. I mean, it just should change us. If we really pray over, God, if, if you've given this to me and if this is a tool, what does it mean for me going forward? That's the question that God would say I, I need you to ask. Now, let me poke at us all for just a minute. We all have stuff. And, th- and this, th- what I'm about to say, I, I need you to understand. I'm about to say something kind of hard. It applies to me before it ever applies to you, okay? I struggle with this every bit as much as you do, okay? But we've all got stuff on our walls, under glass, antiques, you know, pictures. Um, we've all got stuff. Some of you collect guns, others collect cars, some of you, you women collect, yeah, yeah, be careful, (laughs) that's hilarious. You're collecting things, right? You got stuff and you don't want them touched, you don't, you you can look at it, you can look at it, don't touch it, could break. And we've all got those things and we've got stuff, we've got stuff, don't we? You can use this one, but you can't have this one, you can't use this one. Don't, you can't borrow this one. No, this one's special. And what God wants us to do, that's not how God sees our stuff. God looks at that and he says, that's not special. I can make four more just like that. No, God, this one was in the Civil War. Brett, it's going to rust and it's going to burn. And I got news for you. You're not bringing that to heaven. But God, it's special. And God's saying, no, it's really not that special. And he wants us to take it. This is hard to hear. It may be, I'm not saying that if you've got some special, old, special Civil War relic, 
worth you know $10,000 that you should sell it and give it to the church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you should begin to pray about that very special thing and hold it up to God and say, God, I believe you've given this to me. Do you have any message for me relative to this thing? And I want to be open to you. Now that's a scary prayer to pray, isn't it? That's scary. He wants us to look at these things that will not last forever and ask ourselves, how could I turn this into something that will last forever? And the challenge is, are you going to let it hang on the wall or sit behind the glass or be locked up in a safe somewhere? Or are you going to transfer it into something that may be used by God to impact people forever? Because it's all a tool. To one guy, Jesus said, sell all your stuff and give the money away. And I hear that and I want to say, Jesus, you don't understand. And Jesus would look back and say, no, Brett, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand that a kingdom of God is bigger than your stuff. You don't understand that people coming to Jesus is way more important to God, your heavenly Father, than your piddly little thing that you think is so important and so makes you so rich. Now, some people in our church get this. We've got people who have opened up their homes. We've got people who have let us use their pools. We've got people who have loaned us cars. We just sent a group of people to New York City in a van that belongs to somebody in our church, and they, you know what they said? We needed a van. And they said, I got a van. Take my van. You sure? Yeah, take it. Use it for the kingdom. You're going to tell people about Jesus? What better way for my van to be used than for you to get in it and go somewhere and tell somebody in the inner city about Jesus? We've got people who bring their they're mowing equipment up here and mow. We've got a mower, but they bring, you know, they bring, they bring their kids and put them on a mower too. And mow. we've got three or four people mowing the grass, chainsaws, tools of all kinds. It blows my mind how generous you guys can be with your stuff. We've got people in our church who get this. They see stuff as a tool. And it's wonderful. And it's what makes this church a beautiful place because we have people like that in it. That they see it's not just me putting cash in a bucket somewhere. All that I own is a tool. Now let me tell you a story. Let me set this up, first of all, by talking to you about how important a baseball glove is to a major league baseball player, okay? I've read articles on this. There are guys in the major leagues who... um, their gloves are really important to them. I don't know if you've ever seen a Major League Baseball glove. They're broken in perfectly. They're well-oiled. They're, they're perfectly fitted to the hand, and they, the ball goes right into it. It's perfect. And professional baseball players will call those their gamer, okay? They're gamer. Some guys don't let anybody touch their glove. Some guys won't let anybody put their hand up in their glove for fear that they'll mess it up. Now, when I was in youth ministry in Seymour, Indiana, I went to um, Galleon Sporting Goods. You remember Galleon's? Best sporting goods store ever. And I bought this softball glove that was very unique. I'd never seen one like it. I fell in love with it, spent way more money than I should have spent on it. But I was a serious softball player, and I needed it. So I had this glove. I played with this glove for like 15 years. Had this thing broken in. It was a part. It was an extension of me. The ball went into it and just disappeared. It was just like a marshmallow. It was wonderful. Loved this glove. And so 
Bennett is growing up and he's wanting to play ball and, and he's on a team, you know, and, and I'm always tossing with him and I had all, I had him set up with catcher's equipment of all kinds. He had gloves and bats and I'm just, I was a typical dad, over the top. My son's going to be a rock star professional baseball player and here's all the stuff, right? So one day he's, he's got my good gamer glove and it's time for ball practice and he, he's, he has no idea what I'm about to say. But he's kind of looking at it, and he's kind of, you know, patting it and, and just kind of holding his hand. I said, hey, buddy, you want to take that to practice today and practice with that one? Are you serious? I said, yeah, go ahead and take that one. I said, you'll, you'll enjoy that. So he takes the, the glove to practice, and typical Indiana weather, if you don't like it, stick around for a little while, it'll change. And so it's a bright sunny day and all of a sudden uh, storm clouds roll in and a storm comes in in kind of a hurry and everybody kind of runs to the dugout and then they all make their break to the cars and everybody gets in their cars and leave. And nobody thought anything about it. Tuesday night rolls around, it's time for dad to play softball. I go to get my glove. Hey buddy, do you have my softball glove? Oh. I said, buddy, do you have my softball glove? No. Well, what had happened is in the chaos, he had come in and laid it on the bench in the dugout and run to the car, and my glove had been left on the bench. So this is like three or four days later. So I very reluctantly get in the car, drive to where they had been, and I'm looking for my gamer glove. I mean, I can't tell you how much I love this glove. And naturally, it's not there. And at that point, I have a decision to make, don't I? And at that point, God and I are starting to have a conversation, and the conversation went like this, Brett, what's more important to you, a glove or Bennett? What's more important to you, your reaction and being mad and pitching a fit and showing your son how to act over a thing or him? Brett. It's a glove. I can make a new one. I made that one. I can make another one. You can get another one. You only got one of him. He's watching you. He knows you love me. How are you going to respond? And I knew how I responded to Bennett was so much more important than something. You will know more about your commitment to Christ and where you stand in terms of commitment to his kingdom by the way you handle your stuff than anything else in your life. Because it's harder to take what is valuable in your life and make it available. It's harder to take what is valuable to sell it so that we can put cash into something else. It's harder to do that than just about anything else God will ask us to do. And and that's why Jesus took the time to tell this parable. And he said, look, you just have to come to see it the way I see it. Your stuff is a tool. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And it's as if Jesus changes the subject. This happened with the disciples all the time. You know, it's kind of like they would say, oh, there he goes again. We don't even understand what he's talking about. He just... Goes off on these different things. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Thank you, Jesus. That cleared it all up. Thanks. What are you talking about? (laughs) Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Here's what he's doing here. Second thing I want you to write down. Number one, all your possessions are a tool. Number two, everything you own is a test. It's a test. This is what Jesus says. You've been given a very little bit in life. And you would say, oh, no, God's really blessed me. Or you might say, no, I know a rich person who God's really blessed them. I was at a house three weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Biggest house I've ever been in. I'm talking about an, I'm talking about a, like, like, um, I'm stuttering over my words because I can't even put into context for you what I saw and how grand it was, okay? And I would look at that and I would hear Jesus say, well, I've given him a little bit. And I'd say, no, God, you gave him a bunch. And God would say, no, look at what I've got. Look at what I've got. This is a bunch. You want to see what, what is a bunch? Look at God. God says, I don't care. Show me the richest person on earth. It's a little bit compared to what I've got. But I've given you a little bit. And I'm watching to see what you're going to do with your very little bit. Because if you're a good steward with what, that little bit, then I'll give you much. And not only that, I've given you worldly wealth. I've given you, I've given you rusting, deteriorating, passing, not going to be here very long kind of wealth. And I'm watching to see what you're going to do with the worldly wealth. Because if you're faithful with that worldly wealth, I'm going to give you what the Bible calls true riches. God says, I've let you borrow what belongs to me, and I'm watching to see if, if you're going to do the right stuff, the right thing with, with the stuff that I've given you. And if you're faithful with what I've loaned you, then in a while I'm going to give you stuff of your own. But understand, everything you have is a test. And I'm looking to see whose kingdom you're committed to. And I'm going to grade you purely on your ability to handle that little bitty temporary borrowed stuff. See, it's not even yours. We complain and we pray about, oh God, I don't know about 10%, and God's saying, 10%? 10%? It's all mine. You're talking to me about 10%, and God, and, and we're, we're going, oh, you know, God, you want 10%? God's like, no, all of it belongs to me, Brett, all of it. Let me put it to you this way. This will help you to understand this. What would you think about a bank that you put money into on Monday, you put $1,000 in there on Monday, Thursday rolls around and you go take $200 out of the bank and they gladly give you the $200 out of the 1000 that you put in. And then you go back on Friday and you wanted to withdraw 200 more and they say, well, you were just in here yesterday. Right, if they even act for a second like they're not gonna give you the money that is yours that you put in their bank, Oh, we're about to throw a fit, aren't we? Yeah, it's about to get righteous up in here. It's about what's about to happen. Right? Don't tell me. Don't tell me I can't take my own money out of the bank. But you know what? When God gives us everything he gives us, and then we quibble over what we're going to give back, 
that's exactly what it sounds like to God. Wait a minute. God, God would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I gave it all to you. And I want some of it back, and now you're going to argue and fight with me when I gave it to you to begin with? How ungrateful can you be? See, that's kind of how we treat God. And the offering comes and we go, well, you know, I, I don't know, God. This week I've got my car payment and I've got, you know, I've got to pay for my concert tickets. And, and, and God, you, God understands concert tickets. Yeah, God fully understands concert tickets. God says, yeah, sounds like the concert's more important than I am. It's simple. God would say everything you have, first of all, everything you have, it's not all that much. I've got way more. Everything you have is worthless compared to what I own and what I have. It's really not worth that much. It's rotting away. It's all going to burn. And thirdly, Brett, it's not even yours. I gave it to you. It doesn't belong to you. God would say, it's mine. I've loaned it to you. It's a test. I'm watching to see what you're going to do with my stuff, Brett, because I loaned it to you for my sake. I loaned you this little bit for the kingdom's sake. And if you spend it and use it for you, which that's what we do, right? We think that we get a paycheck, and we typically do not think to ourselves when we get that paycheck, oh, God gave this to me. Some of it he gave so that I can take care of my family and our needs, but he also gave this to me to take care of somebody else. We don't think that way, but that's exactly what God's doing. When he gives you things and he gives you money, he's giving you that for you and your family, but he's also hoping that you will take care of somebody else as well. And he says, I'm giving you this so that when you get to heaven, you know, the good news is if you don't do well with the stuff you've been given, you still get to go to heaven. It's not a salvation thing, but God would say, you get to stay in heaven if you didn't do very well, but I can't entrust you with true riches. I mean, don't expect a whole lot because you mishandled what little bit I gave you on earth. So here's the principle. God says, you have the opportunity to take the little bitty nothing and turn it into something big and huge and eternal for my name. So it's a tool. It's a test. And God waits to see if we understand that what we have belongs to him and we can do some really great things with it. You see, if we see it the way God sees it, then we have the opportunity to turn little into much. If we see it the way God sees it, we have the opportunity to turn something temporary into something very eternal. And if we see it the way God sees it, we have, something to, to, to turn, we, have, we have the opportunity to turn something that we think belongs to us into something that belongs to, to God. What a great opportunity. And as if that wasn't enough, he goes on. I'm going to wrap it up. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you say, well, I wouldn't write it like that. I would have read, I would have written that, um, you know, that should read God and the devil. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Nobody's really going to go for that, are they? Uh, you know, I'll go for the devil. Nobody really does that. I mean, some crazy person maybe, but most normal people don't do that. See, it's not, it's not that... It's, that's not the choice. The third p- thing about your possessions that I want you to understand, write this down, they are a trademark. They're a trademark. So your, your, your possessions are a tool, they're a test, they're a trademark. Your money, your stuff is a trademark. It says something about you. It indicates who you're committed to, whose kingdom you're committed to. 
The way we handle our money, the way we handle our stuff says something about us. Jesus says, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve your stuff. See that word, you, you can't serve God and money, the word in the old King James used to say mammon. The Greek word was mammon. It really doesn't mean money, it means stuff. It means the things that we have. And we say, I'm going to serve both. And Jesus says, no, no, you think you're going to serve both, but the issue is every day you have an opportunity to make financial decisions decisions about your possessions that illustrate whose kingdom you really are committed to and God is watching. And how you handle your stuff is, is really what's going to indicate where you're, where you're going. Not your prayer life, not how many times you go to church, not how many times you read your Bible, not any of that stuff. That's all important, that's all great. But God says, really, if I want to know, I just look at how you handle your stuff. So God would say, let's get to the bottom line. I know whose you are, I know whose kingdom you're committed to based on what you're doing with the things that I've given you. It's a test, and it's tools, and I've loaned it to you for my sake. See, remember when you heard the parable, when I read the parable at the beginning, and you hear about this money manager, and he's using this money, and he's making these deals, and he's kind of doing shady stuff under the table. You're thinking to yourself, what a jerk. That guy took advantage of the guy that gave him the job, and he went out, what a crook. And Jesus, in his brilliant way, says, see there, you thought the steward was so unrighteous. You're even worse than him. Because God has given you some stuff, and you use it all for you and not for him. We are stewards. That's what a steward does. He manages something that belongs to somebody else. It's amazing, isn't it? We'll lower our standard of living so that we can get a new house. We'll lower our standard of living so we can buy the car we want. We'll lower our standard of living so we can take the vacation we want, right? We'll do without things. We'll lower our standard of living so that we can send our kid to the right school or we can have our wife stay home from work or or any of those kind of things. Then God comes along and says, what about me? Oh, God, I'm not lowering my standard for you. And Jesus would say, or God would say, all I did was send my son to die a horrible, painful death so that you can go to heaven. What about me? And we say we can't, but we can because we do it all the time. And you hear this and, you, and maybe you think, well, Brett, isn't that a lot to ask? Yeah, it is a lot to ask until you understand that everything we have is a, is a tool, is a test, is a trademark to see who we're committed to. And isn't it amazing? <laughs> we budget so we can buy a new house. We budget so we can buy a car. We budget so we can spend more. Have you ever budgeted so you could give more? And again, let me say it again. If you think I'm trying to reach into your pocket and get money for Cross Lane, no, give it someplace else. But the kingdom, I'm talking about the kingdom. You have a little bit of time, you have a little bit of opportunity. Everything you have is a test, a tool, and a trademark. It shows who you belong to. The world is very temporal, the kingdom is eternal. In the early church, the disciples who came to Jesus in the early days, the, the, the followers of Jesus, they, they got to a place where they started to bring, they would come together and they would bring everything they owned and they would just basically push it to the middle of the table. And they would, they would say, this is what we have, we're just going to give it all. You guys are spiritual and you love God and you just take it and you do for the kingdom what needs to happen. And the church blew up to the point that we, 2,000 years later, here we are. Here's the question. 
On the way out, here's the question. What would happen at Cross Lane? We got a lot of people that get this concept, but what would happen if we all got this concept? How would it affect the bottom line of Cross Lane bringing people to Jesus if we really got serious about everything I own really belongs to God and I'm going to do a better job of maximizing my possessions, my stuff for the kingdom of God? I think it would revolutionize our church. I think ministries would change amazingly. I think people would come to Christ as a result. I have seen, you're going to think I'm making this up, this is preacher ninja stuff, and it's not. I'm just going to tell you. I have seen the generosity of people in this church affect the bottom line of people coming to Jesus. Okay, I've seen it happen. So here's here's the homework assignment. All right, I've said a lot of hard stuff, and I know you're thinking, okay, he needs to stop talking about money now. Here's the prayer I want you to pray this week. God, you've been so good to me. What does all this mean? What does it mean, and and how can I glorify you with this stuff? Does he want you to sell your $10,000 stamp collection and give it to little starving kids in, in Africa? I don't know. Pray about it. See what he says. Be, be willing to be obedient to what he says. Just see what he says. Let's pray. God, you have been so unbelievably good to us. You bless us in ways we can't even count them. I mean, we, we look in our closet. There are shoes all over the place. There is somebody in the world that would love to have just one pair. We have shirts in our closets that still have tags on them. We have people in other parts of the world that that couldn't even walk into the store where we got the shirt. We have so much. You've blessed us. We're so thankful. At this moment, God, forgetting everything else that's been said, we just want to tell you how we're full of gratitude and we're thankful. And now, as we look at what you have given to us, and we look at the kingdom and what you're up to in the world and what you want to happen and that there are lost people who matter to you that you sent a son to die on a cross for and we've got stuff. And the question is simple. God, how do we take it and how do we use it for your glory, for your honor, and for the kingdom? And I really don't believe, Lord, that you want us to be paupers. I don't think you give it to us, to us just to take it away from us. But certainly generosity is a, is a concept you want us to lock into. So Father, we're just praying this morning. Speak to us this week. Help us to get better with our stuff. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.